destructuring for the win. Look, undoubtedly, destructuring is one of like my favorite language features that JavaScript adopted post ES5. I think even AJ needs to admit that destructuring is cool. Um, destructuring is not always evil, and thankfully, it isn't cool. Because <laughs> if it were cool, that would mean that it's unintuitive, not obvious, and it's only useful for showing, bringing other people to show your screen and not useful commit for committing to code. But destructuring can be useful. Now, most of the time, people don't use it in a useful way. Most of the time, they use it in a very cool way where you have an entire deeply nested object on oh, one I side don't think most and an entirely deeply nested object on the other side, and you can't make any sense of what's going on. And then doing the renaming as well. That's the best part. When you, when you deeply nest and rename at the same time, and you have it. Here's the interesting thing. On both sides. Here's the interesting thing. I think that most JavaScript developers aren't actually even aware that you can do renaming like that. Unfortunately, though, if you rename symbols in like VS Code, it actually starts using that renaming capability, and and that's kind of unfortunate. But we're kind of straying from the topic. Uh, it, I. The interesting thing is that you might have fallen into JSX kind of like by accident. But for example, Mishko and the guys from Quick were really intentional about it. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true, and it's 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 got to do with the time of stuff. I started Solid um, at a, in 2016. React had begun to win at that point, um, but it wasn't like I, like I, I was coming from somewhere older, like like Knockout. Like I, it wasn't like. I want to be like React in that sense. It was more like, it was more like actually early days. I was just like, Ugh, you know, and you know, I I didn't like the class components, like stuff like that just didn't sit right with me. And I, I think it is interesting that Quick initially, well, do you know why? It, it wasn't their goal. Quick was like, look, we need to handle data, like how to break up our app smaller, how to, you know, get the hydration gone, essentially. Like, how do we do this? So, for them, initially, the rendering part was like a second consideration. They're just like, like, what's the most popular pattern out there? Let's let's do that. Like, I think that's that wasn't the problem they were going to solve. We 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 were actually chatting like, oh, maybe we can merge Solid's efforts with Quick. Like, they didn't. There's a couple of things that are very clear to them. If you want to solve hydration, you need to use reactivity because you need to know like what updates when, so you can basically separate the static part from the dynamic part. That's like. If you can do that, you can do resumability. It's like the it's basically the foundation of the next like kind of like subcomponent hydration is unsurprisingly get away from the component model for change. So like I think that's where the the goals kind of um made it kind of like, oh, this is this is good on that side. I think what's interesting with Quick is over the last year of using that model and playing with reactivity with JSX how much more similar they are aligning and thinking with a lot of stuff that Solid does because they're kind of like, oh, if I have these pieces together, oh, maybe there's a reason it works like this, right? But that wasn't really the, the goal there initially for them. It was all about like, how do we solve hydration and how do we make something that people would like to use? Whereas I didn't really care if anyone liked to use Solid, honestly. I was just like, I, I like fine-grained reactivity. <laughs> I like this stuff. I don't, I didn't think anyone would. It was honestly... Hooks were like a system shock to me. It, this is React's done this to me twice now, actually, because I, I I was just like sitting there, just doing my thing, running benchmarks, doing my reactive thing. 
everyone's big on class components. Like you got to go back to 2018. View was actually like, hey, we're going to add a class component mechanism. And like they had proposals and all this kind of stuff. And then React's like hooks. And you're, like, I didn't see that coming at all, to, admittedly, because like of how to give React that to, is. To give people the React uh, team credit, uh, they, they're not afraid of shaking things up and breaking stuff. I mean, obviously, they, it's an interesting thing because they, have, they, they need to support the Facebook or Meta uh, code base. They always need to provide a, 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 way, a reasonable way to migrate your code forward. But they they were really brave, you might say, about shaking things up. Like first of all, moving from their create class to ES6 classes, and then you know introducing um, higher order components, and then throwing all this stuff away in favor of uh, hooks. And, and like you said, I, in a lot of ways, nobody saw hooks coming. They kind of shocked everybody when they introduced it, almost like. Almost to the same extent that they shocked everybody when they originally showed uh, JSX. Yep. Yeah. And for me, um, there was like a third shock factor was when I saw server components. I didn't. I, I thought they would take the client model as far as forward as possible, but server components are very much rooted in a in a, in a mechanically in a way that's very similar to multi-page apps and islands. Um, so it was it was definitely that was like it was funny because I was working on solid doing my thing and they, they released hooks. And I'm like, oh my really? So I, I that's why I started promoting solid because I was like, people might actually like this, but I didn't think anyone would like it when I was building it originally. I was just like my thing. I'm a weirdo who still likes you know, when when people get older, they become that like grumbly old man who's kind of like like oh Present. back in the day we used to Present. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we used to do it like this. I felt that way about Solid to a, a large degree um, because like the way I approached reactivity, everyone had already decided that that wasn't what we were doing. So it's like, it's really weird to see like everyone embrace signals and stuff now, like the last year um, between like, you know, Quick and Preact and, uh, you know, even, yeah, it's just it, Angular's looking at them now too, of all things. But like, I, I did not see that coming, but I was, that was where I kind of came up today. And then the second time I was working on the Marco team, working on islands and trying to work on the new stuff with, with the Marco team about how we could get partial hydration, you know, to the next generation and, you know, improve the tooling there. And React uh, announces React server components. And I was just like, what? Like, what do you, what do you guys... Like, so that is what brought the attention back to Marco and what triggered Astro and all that kind of stuff, I think, is, again, we talked about big movers shining a light on on things um these technologies existed before i mentioned marco had some version of partial hydration and was out of order streaming going back to like 2014 but like the truth of the matter is if it's not what people know they need or whatever it's very hard to kind of push that uh forward react was like yes we're looking at partial hydration we're looking at out of order streaming and then Suddenly, you know, again for the second time, found found myself in a very interesting position. Amusingly, I had some mis misunderstandings and misconceptions about uh, React uh, server components when they were initially introduced. In fact, if people go back to my episodes about understanding React, I actually even explained certain things wrong there. I assumed that the server components were effectively just going to be VDOM over the wire, and I thought that it was going to work uh, both ways. That you would literally be able to interact 
with this sort of a generic component on the client side, they would serialize the event, send it over the wire to be handled server side, and then send down the, v- the resulting VDOM over the wire. And that's not exactly what they do, obviously. Uh, server components right. can't really handle client side uh, um, events. You need to embed client components within the, the server components in order to do, to, do, to do that. The other thing that I didn't kind of see coming is that, that they would embrace a totally different um, uh, model for a, 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 synchron- a, a synchronicity in the server components that you could that you could and probably should make server components a sync, whereas client-side components obviously aren't. Uh, and 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 by the way, that's also kind of my biggest issue with it is the fact that you have a totally distinct model for a synchronicity uh, for both these types of components. So you you can it's kind of like going back to those days of having stateful class components versus stateless functional components, and 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 they, and they don't mix very well together. It's kind of like it feel, kind of like feels like that to me all over again in a sense. Yeah, I mean, it is a tricky problem to solve because you build your whole framework thinking client-side, right? Like, that's that's the approach, right? Even early suspense, maybe streaming was considered there, but it's like, it's the isomorphic model. All your code is going to run on the client and server, um, except maybe a few little things that run only on the server. So get server-side props or whatever. Like, you annotate the stuff that runs on the server. That's the kind of client-side isomorphic thing. Oh, sorry, you annotate the things that run on the server only. But most things you're expecting to run on both sides. That's how SSR works today. That's basically the kind of single-page app model. Server components kind of flip it around again, where they're like, actually, and this is like multi-page apps and islands, most of your stuff, you know, the core of your app is actually running on the server, and then we're going to denote the things, you know, opposite. We're going to denote the things that run in the client as well. So we're actually shrinking the size of the isomorphic code. We're actually creating more server-only code and being very strict about that. And I think that's an interesting shift because, like, in the in the end, it, even though you can try and offer the same syntax if, or maybe same, they, there are rules there and more or less you're creating a new framework around an old framework, which is really interesting juxtaposition when you look at something like Astro or an Islands, which literally is a new framework wrapping old frameworks. Like there's a lot of similarities there um, when you actually look look at it. Like I, I thought that too. When I first saw server components, I was like, oh, so this is like an API request for serialized JSX. So it's like a, it's funny, we, I, there's a conversation I was in last week where we joked and called those lakes. Like essentially you have a, cl- a client app and then you go ask for some server stuff. It's like the opposite of islands. But that's not actually what happens. Server components, the root of the app is a is basically a server component that has kind of client components we, woven through it. You can pass server data, the children, to client components, but essentially you have these kind of interwoven trees. But the experience starts on the server from a server root, very much like an island's well, experience. Well, almost, not totally, because it's still mostly an SPA, which means it does start on the client in, a, in the client-side router. And then it goes to the server-side component. It's kind of odd that way. I, yeah, I mean, the thing is, the, the the pure React server components mechanism is is kind of set up that way, where it's like, well, how should I put this? Because 
in practice, almost any framework that's adopted React Server Components has in, combined it with SSR. And it's not always obvious to people what the, the difference is because with, with SSR, with sorry, with Server Components, you have the server components themselves, which are the things that always run on the server. And then you have the client components, which are like these islands, right? And in pure server component be, lands, be, those islands... You need to be explicit about it. You've got server components with, which only run on the server, and you've got right. client components which run components. both on the server oh. and the client. Right. But the thing is, the original way they demoed it was that the client components only ran on the client. Um, because like after initial render, this is true. So they demoed it by making a client-side app, which then like requested for the server page and then wove the client stuff in. Every actual framework actually SSRs the initial render so that the server components and the client components render the initial page on the server. So it's that's why it's kind of confusing because the the structure of the app when you're authoring looks like the server components are the root of the app because like the HTML header, like the, you know, like the body, like the, the outside the body tag, like that's all server component. And then usually you inject the client components in, but like the, the actual spec underneath and the actual way they're being used in frameworks is like a tiny bit different. And it, it, it influenced actually, it's funny, like the React server components is like a generalized approach Whereas people who are attacking this today from the islands perspective, trying to add similar um, capability, like myself, um, we didn't view it that way. Um, but you're right. I'm not being probably clear enough of what I mean by that. Uh, let me think of how I can... In an MPA like islands, as you said, server code only runs on the server. Client code runs on both sides. You run render it on the server and then it hydrates on the client, just those client islands. But when you go to the next page in, in a in an MPA islands framework thing, you throw away that current page, get the new page, and start all over again. In a server components setup, after that initial load, which is effectively like the islands framework, where you render the client and server at the same time, when you go to the next navigation, it doesn't matter if you have the same islands or you have new islands. The server only renders the server components and the client only renders the client components. The reason for this, as you can kind of figure out if you think about it for a moment, is that context, shared state, needs to exist in the client. So once you've loaded that initial page, and let's say you put some kind of context provider at the top of the page, like a counter, you click it like 10 times, and now your count's at 10. The server has no way of knowing of the updated state in the client when it goes to server render the next page. That next page might use a client component that reads from that shared context. So the only like reasonable way to handle that is actually don't render the client components on the server afterwards. This is going to be a fun thing for people to kind of realize as they start working through using these kind of patterns that there are these kind of different rules and things running at the same time. But I actually, yeah, I, I wasn't 100% sure of this myself. I, a week ago, I was on stream and I was like, let's just try this and see what happens. Put some console logs, trying to wrap our heads around this. And that's what I discovered. All, um, all I know is that we're going to start recognizing modern apps by having a million tiny spinners instead of one big one. Well, 
um, that's why they created suspense. Yeah, like, but I mean, like, it, it, it kind of ties to this whole server component thing because you're going to go back to the server in the interim, you're going to put a spinner there. So, so yes. yeah, it, it needs to be a suspense boundary, but that's, again, that's just that the suspense boundaries are, are React technicalities uh, of how they okay. implement this whole thing. Big question. But, what does any of this actually gain us? Why are we doing all of this? Okay, fair, fair enough. <laughs> the, it's just it's the, just complexity upon complexity upon complexity. We're we're dealing with people that are coming out of boot camps. Are the are the that that is the majority of developers. How is anybody ever going to be able to reason about just? Do, 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 do. I mean, if we just went back to Rails, at least websites would work again. Right, and that's that's that is the the question there because there is two things here. The first is there is a hope. Okay, sorry. Actually, the first thing is that the performance thing. This does lend to less JavaScript execution in the browser and load. It does shrink our bundle size. Server components, you know, in a Next app might still come out at 90 kilobytes. And if you have code splitting on your page, like I, I get that you might not feel like you're getting the I, win. I have to, but- I, I have to, to, to push back on this a little bit in a certain to an extent from my perspective it's like this for the majority of the types of websites that most people build build this is uh excessive complexity okay but you need to remember that react is built for the meta use case it needs to be able to support something like meta so you they, Meta cannot produce a framework that doesn't support their own use case. So obviously, it's going to be something of an overkill for a lot of the simpler use cases. At least that's my perspective. Well, I mean, okay, I guess it depends. Do we think that using something like Astro is complicated? Like, I, I mean, maybe it is, but for me, I, I just did put out there, Astro, you come in, you author an HTML file, and then at a certain point, you decide to add some client interactivity. So you bring in a React component you have or a Preact component or Svelte or whatever. And then that's your website. So, I, what, what and and to... that works great as long as you don't need to share state between components. Which right. one is Astro? Is that the one that's like a more modern jQuery? Because there's no. so many now. A- Astro, Astro, number, Astro, another explosion. We had Fred on the show. Actually, I didn't because I wasn't there on the, that episode. But like um, Astro is an interesting take on meta frameworks. It's multi-page applications. It's framework agnostic. And it simplifies the simple use case. So if you're building uh, a website, they like to call it primarily content sites. And and the, which are mostly not interactive, you can like forget about a lot of the complexity that's associated with the other frameworks. But you pay for it when you do need to create something that's more sophisticated. Right. Okay. I and was getting the, confused with Alpine for a second. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the reason I ask this question is because the the, the reason the goal here is this, like. I, you mentioned the shared state for Astro. Yeah, that, that is that is tricky, both on the MPA navigation side because you lose that state. And it's also tricky because like, how do you share between client components? The truth of the matter is even with Astro's model, you could have the islands talking to each other using something like React's provider pattern. I'm, I'm, like, it is completely doable to 
if that was the pattern you want. Oh, you it's doable. A... The DOM's there. JavaScript's there. The window object is there. Obviously, you can share stuff, but, you know. Right. Yeah, but, I mean, like, it depends. I, I, I guess, it, it, is React to react when it was first introduced too complicated maybe like maybe that that, that is still the thing but I, where i was trying to get here is that there's the performance aspect which is the first half right which is which is like yes we are reducing it but the second part is this is a very mpa like mentality in terms of how you approach authoring which is why i brought up astro it's because like you go in you build a page like I, i'm not talking about next specific implementation or like like what we've seen so far. But conceptually, you could see that you could go in, build a page, and then add client interactivity to it the way Astro does, and then have client-side routing, essentially, which would preserve the state between... Like, as long as you defined a way to say, here is a state container, like I, I use context as an example, you could basically have this authoring experience where... For a simple app, you could build something like an MPA. You'd be like, here's my HTML, here's my page. It doesn't do anything. And then you could add these you know, islands on top of it. And in both cases, it just does client-side routing. And like you kind of get an experience that looks kind of like single-page apps today, except you're not sh shipping the JavaScript. That's 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 what the hope is. Um but yes, I, right now it seems like a lot of complexity. Uh, but I'm, I think we're looking into it because there's this thinking, and I, I do kind of agree on this that the potential of these patterns could simplify beyond what we do with single page apps today. But maybe that's too optimistic because any kind of MPA type pattern doesn't take into consideration client-side caching and that's probably one of the most complicated topics like basically the client-side state management um in single page apps today so this is this is definitely like a pendulum swing this way swing further back this way swing back in the middle kind of situation and, and um, i'll be blunt if you want to get away from complexity just build your site on wix uh, you know, you don't have to build it in JavaScript and DOM manipulations and whatnot. Yes. Oh, but what if I, I still want to build my website? Well, we had Yoav on to explain that you could with Wix, but but that's not the point here. The, the, there are box solutions for something like 80 to 90% of what most web developers do, be it Wix or WordPress or Shopify or whatever. Uh, and so the frameworks need to enable the more sophisticated use cases. Otherwise, what's the point? Yes, uh, man, it is tricky because, I mean, this does come down to the question, should we be looking for one solution for everything? That's that's what this all boils down to. And it is very obvious to be like, no, like there's tools for the job, right? But every time on the web, when we get to a certain point, we ask ourselves that question. It just comes up. You're like, oh, I'm the do dominant player. You know, it, it happened with dot, like with .NET and Java time period, and when they started getting into and rail, like they started getting into like how they could like merge the client and server model. We're doing it again here. We're like, why can't sites and apps 
be used and built with the same tools. Yeah, let's um, go back to that Astro scenario. Let's say I start with, let's say I believe in using the best tool for the job and I'm saying, okay, I'm building a content website. It's just a content website with very little interactivity. I'll build it with Astro and I do and I get excellent performance scores and, and the process is really streamlined and easy and it's all great. But then I keep adding functionality to the site. So is there like a point in time where I say, okay, I've reached a certain point where I've reached a certain amount of complexity. I'm going to throw away my entire uh, implementation and rewrite it using some other framework. Well, likely what that's not going to happen. Instead, I'm going to uh, keep on adding stuff into the existing implementation and then, you know, bitch and moan about the fact that uh, I'm hitting Astro's limitations. Yeah. And that's that's the that's probably the motivation why people are looking at uh, scaling that stuff. Like in a sense, like what what if you could take a certain model and it could scale across that range? That's that's I feel like uh, both quick and server components are uh, approaches trying to a- answer that question in slightly different ways, but it is. It is, but like both of them probably start at least today at a like a higher level of complexity before you know, like it doesn't appeal to the person who come in and make an astro site. But I'm not sure that has to be the case. Like, what if your astro site could have, um, could do what server components do? Like, that, that's something of very interest to me, actually. And, and a lot of my research recently has been looking at how agnostic we can get solutions like this. I actually, fairly confident if Astro so chose, they could um, get into the, that kind of solution if they wanted. It's it's interesting because... You know, we've been running for a long time. I think we do need to start wrapping it up. So I, I would like to throw one more question. And that question is, so based on everything you said, who's going to win? Like which framework... <laughs> Should I learn if I want to have a job in 2023, 2024, and, and going forward? Because I, and I have to point out that just like a few days ago, uh, Toby Lotke, Shopify CEO, tweeted that it looks like uh, a Remix, you know, Remix is going to win the, the framework competition. So, you know, we've got that position out. Uh, he's also the like involved in actually buying remix like, no right? obviously like that, he's that. the one that gave yeah. that you know pulled out the wallet <laughs> yeah okay so i mean that's not a terribly surprising take then um yeah i mean it, it's it's okay short term you, you, stuff built on react is still definitely like that's a sure bet i it's harder to say how long term that if that shifts but like you you know though you can't go wrong with was IBM or whatever. Like, you, you can't go wrong with React. To a certain degree, it's going to stay being the thing. I, I think that mentality is getting more annoying by the day from my perspective. But I will say that, like, I think that, like, it's it's very easy to kind of point, point at that. Uh, there's... What I'm interested in is, I think everyone from React to, like, all these new solutions are actually making significant progress in these places. It's just like when the comparison changes to the metrics or the the areas where these new solutions are highlighted, 
I, I think it's it's a much more interesting uh, choice than today because I, I I do think it's not just UX of performance. I think there's DX considerations here. I do think like I, the reason I brought up Astro, for example, is like where Astro is a winner. It like for me at least personally, it feels like a clear winner. Um, and I think there's going to be a lot of it's, it's, it's funny, we're, we're talking, the last year is all about performance and like innovation in terms of technology, but it's going to flip back on DX very quickly here. Like not, right now we're at a point where like, look, these technologies are possible, but using them is kind of horrendous. And I, I, I think maybe at that point, there is going to be a bit of a shift when you put both of those elements together where people are going to like start asking why do I want, why do, like, why do I want this complexity? And it's perceived complexity. The actual solution might be complex, but why do I want this complexity? And when I make my blog site, I, you know, get X performance. And I think that's where the conversation so is I, probably... I need, to, I need to point out two important points here. One is that only 30-something percent of all React sites actually have good performance. And that's skewed by the fact that Wix sites are actually React sites, and Wix is pulling the React statistics up. Because yes. so so in actuality, if you look and if you look at Next.js, something like only twenty percent of Next.js websites actually have good performance. Now this might change when when everybody embraces server components. Time will tell, uh, but that's the way it currently is. And the second thing, which goes exactly to your point, and also to the point that AJ was making before, when we start using server components, we are adding complexity. Not, re- not removing complexity because we still have the quote-unquote client components that we had before. So we had everything we had before and now we also have server components. Yep, it's, an, it's another layer. I'm, I, it's funny, we'll have to see how it shifts. I, I find whenever these abstractions or these layers kind of um, happen, certain things just fall by the wayside. I think, I think that's the thing everyone, the other thing everyone has to be prepared for here. A lot of these innovations right now are ecosystem threatening. Um, and we're actually like at the beginning of kind of testing the waters on that, right? Like, yes, you have what you had before with the JavaScript thing, but the departure of say server component type architecture from what we do today completely changes the story around like data fetching libraries and like a lot of the state libraries and how they they play into it. So like, I, I think it's actually really interesting is that like maybe, I don't know, maybe... 30%, 50% of React libraries to stop actually having a reason oh, to yeah. exist. You're basically saying that once I have server components, I don't need uh, a state management library anymore. And not only that, my state management becomes type safe. Uh, and that, and right. that, those are undoubtedly big wins, for sure. Right. And then the other side of it is if I'm going to embrace reactivity to such a degree to solve, you know, these hydrations or whatever, like mechanical kind of things like view and view vapor, suddenly like, again, view vapor uh, is a new compiler that the view team is kind of like looking at um, very similar to what solid outputs. It's not exactly compatible with view today. Like you can put vapor leaves inside your view app, but it, you know, but it's not like, it's not like the same. It's a different render model. It's a different thing. So uh, the, I, I think people are right now taking that opportunity, watching React kind of like make this shift and go, okay, now's a good time to like pull our shifts as well because things are kind of like sh- shaky and we can t- we can take risks right now. So um, I, I'm I'm looking at it like 
just looking at the whole ecosystem, I'm looking at like a bunch of sh- shakeouts th- th- this next year between the, the progression of people trying to hunt after like DX to kind of win points on basically features everyone's working on and like combating that with like a almost like ecosystem resetting level of change. Certainly gives new meaning to the term vaporware, doesn't it? (laughs) Okay, so with that, I'm going to start wrapping us up uh, and head towards picks. Thanks, Brian, for coming on. Real quick, before I forget, if people want to follow you and give you money uh, or anything, you know, read what you're working on, where's the best places to do that? Yeah, I mean, everything is either linked off my Twitter, uh, which is at Ryan Carnietto, spelled C-A-R-N-I-A-T-O, um, or the SolidJS website. Um, you have links there to my YouTube channel where I uh, stream videos weekly, um, Discord, um, where the community around Solid is, um, my Dev2, where I write articles. Um, so all that content is there. I, I, I honestly would just start with Twitter. And I would like to say that the amount of of great content that you put out is, I find it fairly astounding. The, the fact that you can do all that and still advance solid is, is yeah, good for you. Thank you. Uh, it takes a lot of time, but it, the, one of the coolest things that I found is you can kind of do learning while you're building that content. And that that's usually how I position it. I, I'm like, I need to look into this for solid sake. And then I make content around it while I do it. So kind of hit, uh, two birds with one stone to some degree. So I'm glad it's helping others as well, though. Sort of, I think the phrase is learning in the open. Yeah, yeah. Or learning public, I think, yeah. Yeah, something along those lines. All right, so we'll move on to picks. I will start out today. Uh, and before I get to the high point of any podcast, the dad jokes of the week, uh, found an interesting post I was actually reading before we started recording today, and it sort of interestingly fit in with with some of the things that we were talking about. Uh, It's written by a guy named Eric W. Bailey, and it talks about uh, how we develop websites can actually hinder people uh, in when they're trying to find information. And his example has to do with a mental health website called uh, Modern Health and how he goes to that website and gets a white screen of death with a little spinner in the middle. And he talks about uh, how they've over-engineered it with React and Webpack. And so somebody here you get somebody who's really in need of some help. They're having a mental health issue, and they go to the website, and they can't access any of the resources. So it uh, seems sort of apropos considering the topics that, uh, that we are uh, discussing today. So we'll have a link in the show notes. Um, definitely a timely article. And now for the dad jokes of the week. Um, I had them all bookmarked and then I lost them all again. So let me find them real quick. So tonight for dinner, my wife told me that we are going to have some Himalayan rabbit stew. Sounds pretty eloquent or exquisite, but it just means we found Himalayan in the road. <laughs> oh, oh. All right. Uh, yesterday, uh, I went to the mail and I opened my electric bill and my water bill at the same time. Uh, needless to say, I got quite a shock. Uh, yeah. Right. And then uh, last week I went to uh, the doctor's office and he came in because I'd had some, some, done some tests and he came in and said, I have your test results. I said, did I pass? He said, you will. Ooh. 
Those are the dad jokes of the week. Uh, Dan, what do you have for us? Well, it's a good thing that you put the humor up first because my pick, not actually a pick so much as, again, an observation, is not a pleasant one for me. Uh, I usually avoid talking about politics in general and politics in Israel in particular. But uh, this is a fairly unfortunate time in Israel and it's got me pretty depressed, I have to say. Uh, We have a new government. And this government is pu- is pushing through a set of laws which are intended to eliminate the independence of uh, uh, the of the courts of uh, um, uh, you know so basically the government will be able to uh, select judges and overrule uh, judge uh, judges' decisions and effectively uh, eliminate the separation that's in kind of inherent in democracies between the three different branches, the executive, the legislator, and judiciary. And, uh, how do you say it? Judiciary. judiciary. Judicial. Yeah, exactly. Um, so they're kind of... And, and so obviously, uh, at, happily, a lot of Israelis are objecting to that, which has led to a wave of re- really large protests and demonstrations. I literally participate in one every week. Uh, we had a big one today because they pushed through the first batch, the, the initial draft of the first batch of these laws. But so far, they aren't stopping. Uh, and it looks like until we have something that's uh, kind of like major civil unrest, uh, this is not going to change. So hopefully it doesn't end up in anything more than that. You know, who wants to see fighting in the streets? But uh, it's really... Not, Israel is not in a good place. Let's put it this way. And I'm guessing they probably named the bill something like Greater Separation of Judiciary Branch. Exactly. Oh, you know, or, you know, the people uh, have spoken. Let the people decide what they want. You know, if you, you're familiar with the term of uh, the, the dictatorship of the majority. Uh, and in this case, it's not even exactly a majority. It's roughly half the population. It's kind of like a winner-take-all, not to the same extent that you have in the States. But um, but you have a situation in which like um, uh, half the population is kind of like trying to force its, um, its uh, uh, let's call it ideals, its point of view on, on the rest and trying to eliminate the the courts as as a as a check and a limitation on what they can do so yeah it's quite orwellian it's quite orwellian yeah absolutely dystopian sounds like politics here in oregon too yeah but it's kind of different when it's on the national at the national level all right is that your only pick dan yeah that and the ongoing war in ukraine if we want to be totally depressed uh yeah those are my picks for today Thank you for that cheerful note. Uh, AJ, on to you. Okay, so I'm going to do the self-promo section first. So we're talking about writing another language earlier and how that's such a bad idea. So I am now in earnest working on AI script, and it's the I is a swash letter I when stylized properly. So it looks like a J, but it's actually an I. And uh, that's how I reconcile the AJ script, AI script debate is that it's a swash letter I. So the, the feature of this language that makes it different from every other language is type drafting, which this is a term that 
invented itself and that it makes perfect sense. So type drafting is that as you write the code, the type annotations are added and updated while you update the code. And as long as you don't do something that is in violation of the language language's type system, no matter how stupid or idiotic or whatever it may appear to be, it will update the type annotations to be what you have done. And this gives you the benefit of being able to see what you did versus what you thought you did. And then when you finalize the types, then it works in the other direction. So while you're, while you're type drafting, your types are being updated from the actual reality of your code. And then when you're done type drafting, then any changes you make to the code are checked against the types that you have confirmed and validated. The other interesting feature of this language is that, well, I, it runs in browsers and in, and in runtimes like Node.js without any transpiling. But it is kind of like how we were talking about the... The semantics of the language are different, but the outcomes are the same. I mean, so for example, I'll give you uh, I'll give you one example. The language has variable shadowing, which is something that a lot of modern languages have, which is where you're not allowed to change the type of a variable. So if I say the type of this variable is a string, so let's say I get an, an age from some user input. And when I get that, the user typed it as a string. So it's the string 18. But I want to parse that into a number. If I were to do age equals parse int age, this would actually be an error uh, to, to assign a string a number. This is an error. This is not allowed. But if I were to do var age equals parse int age, comma 10, that is allowed because I am declaring this variable is being shadowed. So I declared the variable once, and then the second, what looks like a declaration, well, what is a declaration, is the shadowing of the variable. So at that point, I'm allowed to assign a new variable of the same name to a different type, and I can't access the previous variable anymore. There's also a lot of things that this language has that are, uh, well, that, that it doesn't have. Uh, there's, there's no prototypes. There's no this. There's no switch. The I'm looking at right now, the number of keywords in the language is about 24, which would make it one of the smallest languages in existence, something that you could literally learn in a weekend. So anyway, that is, that's, that's my announcement of, of AI script. Obviously, you can't use it yet. It is being specced and tools are being developed. Uh, I am I am working with someone who is a world-class language designer that has actually worked on uh, one of the prominent TypeScript uh, tools to, to try to get this put together in a way that I would not be able to do it by myself. But that is, that's, I'm, I'm excited about this. I've wanted this for a long time. I've been really, really, for the past couple of years, or at least the past year, because I don't know if it's actually been a full two years that I've been using the TypeScript checker, but I've had such a love-hate relationship with it, and I've just really wanted tools that work great 
in native browser code. And this language, uh, I think, will fit the bill. And one day, it could expand to be big enough that the macro system for the language could also work with JavaScript. But as of right now, it is its own distinct separate language that is not compatible with JavaScript, but it is compatible with browsers and um, runtimes. So that out of the way, I have two short picks. One is, if you haven't heard about ChatGPT Dan, it's a role play model that you can do with ChatGPT to get it to go beyond the stupid, this is a subject that uh, blah, 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 blah. I can't respond. I'm an AI, blah, blah, blah. Wait a minute. Chat, can... Chat GPT Dan isn't a, an AI version of me? Well, I'm not sure whether it's an AI version of you. I think it kind of is because <laughs> it's it's not as intelligent as you, but it's more intelligent than Chat GPT is typically. Yeah, I saw this. This is awesome. So wait a minute. Yeah. It so, does work so, or it doesn't work? It's real or a myth? It is real. So I'm linking to the second video, the part two video, because in the part two, the part one video, I debunk, debunked it as a hoax. There's a couple things that you need to do to get it to work. One of which may be to clear out all of your browser data and cookies for the chat GPT site, because if there's old data in the browser, it may not be able to engage in that mode. Wait a minute, and clear out all is the I've cookies? Linked... Like, what are we, in the 90s? What, like... This is what you got to do for web development, Dan. Not all the cookies of the entire browser. Clear it out of that page. Get rid of the state. Get rid of the it's state It's like those old days in, in Amazon. If you wanted the discount, you would clear your cookies. That's how the web still works, Dan. Have you not used Amazon recently? <laughs> I mean, that's that's how the web still works. All of that is still the same. Yeah, now it's just on a on a on a uh, huge uh, JavaScript uh, framework and meta framework and whatnot, but it's still cookies all the way down. Yeah. So anyway, you you and you have to use uh, a specific script, and the script will only work for so long, and then the chat GBT catches on to the fact that you're getting it to go against the content policy or something. And then it, and then it kind of boots you out and you got to redo it again. But I, you, the second video is where, because people were getting so angry in the comments at me that it's not a hoax, it's real, but nobody would provide me with the script that actually works. Then so, finally somebody did, you know, cause they're just saying, Oh, you, you just have the outdated script. That, that's why. And I'm like, okay, sounds like a hoax. I mean, you can hit control shift five just as good as I can, can't you? So uh, and on Windows, that's, uh, sorry, I meant command shift five. On Windows, it's control alt R to do a screen cap. Anyway, but so, and, and then somebody came out with the anti-Dan and they have not released the script for it, but the anti-Dan is, as you would expect, a more restricted chat GPT where no matter what you ask it, it tells you that it's, insensitive can cause mental harm goes against the content policy as by the way uh, debatable uh, information AJ, have you seen have you seen cat gpt no i have not well you should if you're worried about uh being offended then cat gpt is is the one for you all right well i am just search for it i, I don't C-A-T, i wasted so much time C-A-T on gpt the first check one. it out you like it Okay, I, I will give it a brief check, but I, I got stuck down the chat GPT Dan rabbit hole and it 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 sucked some hours of my life I'm not going to get back. So I don't want to get too stuck in that again. But if you're interested in watching the video where I debunk my debunking to show that it is not a hoax, 
that that video will be linked as well as the the anti-Dan comments. And that's it. I like that's, things that's that are anti-Dan. Good. All righty, It's Ryan. in the chat right now if you want to check it out. Your turn, Ryan. What do you got uh, for picks? Yeah, I mean, this week, um, this is pretty timely, uh, the React documentary came out. Um, I know the JavaScript framework thing, but I actually quite enjoyed that. A lot of history, a lot of memories. Um, so, yeah, I definitely recommend checking that out if you have any interest there. It, it, it covers the period of React basically before the modern period. It, like, kind of the video ends around 2015. I, I have uh, to say, by the way, is that I was kind of a, not... I didn't expect it, but I was, despite it, slightly disappointed that they didn't mention Wix. And the reason that I bring Wix up in this context is that Wix actually embraced React back in 2014. And I think Mm. that Wix was like, like one of the biggest, if not the biggest implementation of React outside of Meta slash Facebook way back when. And even to this day, 20% 20% of all React websites, according to the Chrome User Experience Report, are actually Wix websites. So a huge portion yeah. of all React websites are actually Wix websites. Um, and, I, and I think that the Wix viewer might still be like the most complicated React application out there. Now, Wix editor, sorry, is still one of the most complex React applications out there. It's huge. Alrighty, we have been going way long on this. So with that, we're going to wrap it up. Thank you, Ryan, for coming on to the podcast of subjecting yourself. I mean, sharing your knowledge uh, <laughs> and experience with us. Uh, as you said, if you want any more information about him and his knowledge, Ryan Carniato on Twitter. So with that, we'll wrap it up. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And we'll talk to you next time on JavaScript Jabber. Bye.